0: you'll find your place in First Corinthians again, chapter 9. We've been working our way through First Corinthians. And uh, let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Um, still in chapter 9, we'll pick up a little bit further down from where we left off last Sunday, talking about the difference. And this morning specifically, I want to address the issue success that matters, success that matters. And while you're finding your place, some of you have already found it, let me um, uh, just take a little point of privilege here Apart from the message that I'm prepared to preach today and encourage everyone to be a responsible citizen And get out and vote how many of you have already voted maybe ahead of time all right early voting is taking place Some of you have already voted let me encourage everyone get out and vote now Let me say something else in process. I would not tell you how to vote either by person or by party But I will tell you by principle There's some things that where if people say well pastors should stay away from politics The problem with that thinking is Politics doesn't leave the church and doesn't leave the faith alone. So it's hard, you know, they make decisions that affect us. And as good citizens, we need to be a part of the decision-making process. I think Scripture gives us a mandate to do that. Um, But I've tried to remind a lot of my pastor friends lately that in the late 1990s, uh, our president was involved in some activity. And we preached real loud that it does matter what kind of person you are, not just what kind of president you are. We preached it loud and clear. Uh, and it wasn't just because there was a certain party in office, it's because we felt a biblical mandate to say, character matters. Not just what you can do for the economy, not just what you can do for morale. Character matters. And yes, when I get ready to vote, I look at things that are of biblical significance first and foremost. And when I see that Israel, experienced uh, certain consequences, especially because of sexual immorality and uh, what they tolerated happening to little children. And I look at abortion and marriage laws and things like that today that have gotten so far away from what God's word says that those, those are first and foremost on my mind. But on top of that, character matters the kind of person someone is does matter no matter what they can do for a nation and i don't say that uh for one party or the other i I say that as a christian that the kind of leader that you are will be reflected in the kind of person that you are so you pray you seek the lord's will and i realize that sometimes elections boil down to uh uh, who is the least? Um, who is the least antagonizing toward religious freedom? But you pray and you ask God for the right individual, according to His word, not emotions, not how you feel. The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The Bible says, "Not follow your heart." Follow God's word, God's will, and seek God's direction. No, we're not electing a, uh, a pastor-in-chief. I realize that. Um, but we are electing a leader. And so get out, be responsible, and vote. Now, that was free. Didn't cost you anything. Uh, we'll get back to the message I believe God has for us uh, directly from his word today. Verse 24. I'm sorry, let's go back to verse uh, 19. Verses 19 through 27 in First Corinthians 9. For although I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all in order to win more people. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law. To win those under the law. To those who are outside the law, like one outside the law, not being outside God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I may by all means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, that I may become a partner in its benefits. Do you not know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I do not run like one, one who runs aimlessly or box like one who beats the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control or subjection so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Father, we do thank you for your word that it so addresses everything in life, and I pray that you would help each of us Be successful in what matters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated this morning. Back in uh, 1977 and early 1978, when I was a little kid and didn't realize what was going on around the world, uh, there was a great firefighter strike. We have some firefighters here this morning. Pastor Ben is a former firefighter himself, but there was a firefighter strike in Britain. It started with the uh, London firemen's, and then it just kind of spread throughout the land. And so the British army valiantly stepped up to the table and assumed the responsibilities the government had there and, and Great Britain had given them, and they became the ones who ran, at that time, the local fire departments. In one particular case, and some of you have recently discovered that not all fire departments are going to do this anymore, but one day a lady called, and she needed the firefighters to come get their cat out of a tree and so this group of soldiers bringing that rescue equipment from the fire department came to get use their ladder truck and everything, and they were able to get this cat out of the tree and The lady was so thankful as the story would later be recorded that she invited these firefighters into her home for tea, which is what you would do. Uh, you know, in Madison County, Georgia, it would have been for a Mountain Dew or a Gatorade, but in, in England, it was, uh, they were invited in for tea at that moment. And so they went in, they took their time, they had some tea, and then they went out, feeling so wonderful about themselves, got in their rescue truck, and they left. And when they left, they ran over the cat. Killed... The cat. You know, sometimes we can be so excited about our success that we do something to totally undermine that success. That success might have been something that we thought we had accomplished. It was something great, something we felt good about, something we were rewarded for, and later we end up losing everything we had worked for. You realize there's a type of success that the Bible talks about that you absolutely cannot lose? Now, a lot of people use a lot of the scriptures in passages that, in passages, uh, from passages of the Bible to talk about success in a way that really they apply it wrongly to those things that you can lose. But there is a success for the kingdom, success for the glory of God, success in the gospel that you cannot lose. The Apostle Paul was an extremely driven individual and when he got saved it didn't change the fact that he was highly motivated that he was highly driven but there was a difference and we've been talking all the way through first Corinthians about the difference the gospel should make in our lives there was a difference concerning what kind of success he would now pursue his, his life had been transformed so he was still driven to be successful but now not successful as the world defines success, not success that distorts biblical principles like many televangelists might do on televisions all across our nation today, but success that is probably defined best in in and, and, uh, passages like psalm chapter one blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked stand in the path of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful but his delight is where it's in the law of the lord his success is defined by god's word his delight is in the law of the lord on his law he meditates day and night and the psalm says that he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water that kind of success that's firmly and deeply rooted drawing from the water of life the source of life He shall be like that tree planted by rivers of living water, Psalm 1 says, which brings forth its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and it says whatever he does prospers. And some people will say, Pastor, you mean you don't believe in the prosperity gospel? I do if it's rightly defined. If we learn how to define a different type of success, success that matters, prosperity that matters, then certainly I believe in it, but not as it's appropriated out of context most of the time. That Psalm 1 goes on to say, uh, not so the wicked. They're like the chaff which the wind blows away. It goes on to say, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous because the Lord is watching over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Their worldly successes will not last. And the successes we have in those areas that don't matter will not last. When we climb that ladder of success and it's, At the end of life, we realize it was leaning against the wrong building. So why did Paul make such a big deal? As we read a couple of weeks ago about gray areas, it's because he wanted to make the right decisions that might lead to the right kind of success. Why has he emphasized hard work as we saw last Sunday in this area of the Gospels? Because he was driven. He wanted to be successful. But why did he spend a lot of time talking about... um, Sexual purity and keeping oneself under subjection to the spirit of Christ is because he wanted the right kind of success for him and for us. Those were all keys to success in what matters most. So as you pursue success, and it's okay to pursue success, are you desiring to be successful in what matters most? So we would ask the question, what's so different about Paul's ideas of success? perhaps, what's so different about Paul's ideas of success now that he is a missionary, a church planner, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is his idea of success so different, and how is it so different from what it was before he came to know Christ? Well, one thing he spells out here in this early part of the passage, many times I've preached verses 24 through 27, maybe to young people, maybe as a, a devotional before a football game, or I've applied it to so many different areas of life, to Encourage people to experience victory, but so often we take it out of the context the context here Is set up by what he's been talking about in chapter 9 Specifically in verses 19 through 22 that we read a moment ago that tell us that success is different for us because our mission is different We pursue the great commission in everything that we do so success is different because our mission is different what drives us? Is different Paul is saying again and again here I've become all things to all people that by all means some might be saved. so when he talks about being free he's talking about not being someone with a religious background with certain legalistic standards that he has to abide by he's not rationalizing to excuse sin in his life he's just saying I do not have certain religious traditions or protocols when I'm around these people that I feel like I have to follow and and I want to be able to connect with them. But to the Jews, he would say, those with a religious background, and then he describes them as, as people under the law. He says, I became as one under the law that I might win them. And then he explains, not that I was really under the law, he said, but I could do their traditions, I could walk through their rituals, understanding their fulfillment was in Christ, and I have today even Messianic Jewish friends who celebrate the festivals, who celebrate the Passover, and these are wonderful things, that we can celebrate or be a part of if we understand that we are under no obligation to do so because they were fulfilled in Christ. And he says, "Look, listen, I can identify with the religious crowd. I can identify with the non-religious crowd. And so he's beginning to explain all of that. And he says, listen, to those who, who were outside the law, verse 21, that didn't get it, didn't have a spiritual background. I, I became like those, even though I wasn't really outside of God's law, but I wanted to be able to identify with them. To the weak in verse 22, I became weak. He became honest about his own struggles. You see that in Romans chapter 7. Paul was telling uh, the, the, the christians at rome there listen i struggle with sin just like you struggle with, when, with with sin and he says i could be very transparent with the weak and discuss my own weaknesses to build a connection i could identify with all types of people i could become all things without compromising biblical principle i could become all things so that paul might influence more people He wanted to be able to connect with people. His mission was different, and if he was going to be successful, he needed to have certain relational skills to be able to connect with people where they were in life. There's a great tension today between discipleship and evangelism. The argument is quantity or quality, and for Paul, it was both. He wanted to connect with as many people as he could possibly connect with so that he could meet them where they were and move them closer to Jesus Christ. And so evangelism was discipleship for him. Discipleship was evangelism for him, meeting people where they are and constantly moving people close to Christ. And he was willing to connect, become all things with all people in order to do that. Many of us haven't fully embraced the mission so if we haven't fully embraced the mission, we don't really understand what it means to have the right perspective on the idea of success. Now, to be clear, I, I want to borrow slightly from the uh, the purpose-driven uh, model that Rick Warren put before, the concentric circles that he uses. And, and I want to use those concentric circles, if, if you will, uh, to picture a broader circle and then a smaller circle and then a smaller circle and then, then a smaller group and finally the, the final group uh, to help you to help me be very transparent with you and to help you to understand where, where I'm coming from, let's be abundantly clear. If someone is a part of our community, if someone is a part of our community, our goal is to see them become a part of the church. Everyone is a part of the community. We want to see them become a part of the church. And, and if a part of the church crowd, meaning that they... they they, they are a part of a community of faith, but maybe they haven't been converted yet. We want to see the, those people who are part of a community become a part of a church and, and then to see them converted, coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And often that means that takes place out there, not inside the walls of the church. And so moving people from community to church to converted, genuinely saved, born-again believers, and those who are converted, we want to see become more committed, committed to the body of Christ, committed to prayer, committed to biblical stewardship, committed to a small group, all of those core values that we embrace as a church here at Trinity. We want to see everybody who becomes a born-again, converted brother or sister in Christ grow and become committed to all of those areas of the faith. And then the committed to become part of the core, those, those pillars of the church who help the church then go back out missionally to the community. We, we have a mission to connect with people and to be moving all people closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be very transparent about that goal. We want to be very upfront and clear about that. Paul says, here's my mission. Here's what I'm trying to do. I just want to let you know, I'm trying to connect with all people. So if someone were to criticize him, well, Paul, when, when you're with the Jews, you're kind of uh, act like you've got this religious background, and he could say, I do. And they say, yeah, but when you're with the, uh, you're with the Gentiles, you act like you kind of have this Gentile background. And Paul could say, well, I do. And he says, I- I've got different backgrounds in my life. I-, I come from two different family lines, and this allows me to connect with a lot of people. And he says, and I want to connect with as many people as I possibly can because my success depends on me influencing people for the glory of God. He was in pursuit of a great commission. That's how he was defining success. It wasn't in Uh, you know having the nice nicest material things the nicest place to stay or anything like that anything that's part of the whole uh the health wealth name it claim it gab it grab it doubt it do without it success preaching that's going on today he he didn't have anything to do with that he was saying listen i know what it's like to be hungry and i know what it's like to be full is what he told the church at philippi he says i know what it's like to abound i know what it's like to have abundance he says but i also know what it's like to suffer he says, I've had good times, I've had bad times, it's been sweet and it's been rough, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He said, That's success. That's what success was for him to become all things for all people, to use every means possible so that some would be saved. You know what that means for us today? It means you can become a businessman so that you might influence someone to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That means today you can be a high school student, but your purpose as a high school student is to help someone come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As it's been said, many of you are uh, missionaries supported by the taxpayer. You're there to help somebody come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be a golden eagle or a red raider, but you are a golden eagle or a red raider becoming all things for all people that... By all means, you might lead somebody to faith in Christ. You can be a soccer player, a little leaguer, a college student, but you're becoming all things so that somebody could come to know Christ. That's why you're there. If you are a born-again believer and you want to be successful in life, you need to understand that God has strategically placed you where he has placed you to be on mission for him. And the primary reason you're there and not already raptured out of here is because God wants you influencing people for his glory. He wants you leading the people around you. Now, do you embrace your job? Do you embrace your career? If you, last week I was speaking about educators. Do you realize you can be an educator in the area of education You are there so that you can influence people to move closer to Jesus Christ. You can be a homemaker and a homeschooler. You are doing that to influence people, beginning with your family and then your community, to influence people to come to know Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you're not just your neighbor's neighbor. You are a neighbor so that you can be all things to all people that by all means, you might win some neighbor's Christ, when we begin to live on mission like that, it will change our definition of success. That's the context that frames the rest of this passage. We need to be able to relate to people, and then we need to be able to articulate the gospel to people. And sometimes we, we learn how to relate to people, and we drop the ball on sharing the gospel with them. You know, we quote... That old saying that was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which there's really no record that he ever actually said, but it's, it's the statement, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Well, words are necessary. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we're to become all things for all people to open up channels of opportunity to share Christ, to show it, yes, but then to articulate it, to relate and then articulate, to show them Christ and then to tell them about Christ. And so Paul, he had a different mission. You know, our mission when we go to Haiti next week is to put some roofs on some churches. But that's not our primary mission. Our primary mission is to do that, and while we're there, to be a witness for Christ, both physically and verbally, but also to create a venue for which the gospel can be communicated because that's our mission. And not only is our mission different, our motivation is different. See, we, we not only have a great commission, but we pursue a glorious crown. A glorious crown, an eternal crown. A crown that the Bible says lasts forever. Now look back at verse 23 in this text. Paul says, I do all of this because of the gospel that I may become a partner in the benefits. Paul was saying, I want to get in on something. And there are both intrinsic and external rewards that I want to get in on. And it's not all eternity. We'll we'll see that here in a second. It has a a lot to do with our eternal destiny and and how we experience it. But it also has to do with what we experience in life now. Paul says, I want to get in on the blessings of the gospel. I want to get in on the blessings of sharing Christ. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6 says, I pray that you may be, Paul writing to Philemon, I pray that you may be active in the sharing of your faith so that you may come to a full knowledge of what you have in Christ. Isn't that awesome? There, there's a principle there in Philemon 1.6 then that we have a better understanding of all that we have in Christ if we're sharing Christ. If we're not sharing Christ, we're missing out on the benefits and the blessings of all we have in Christ. We have a better understanding of all we have in Christ if we are sharing. Sharing Christ. Some of you are like, man, my faith has grown stale. I don't get excited about the blessings of God like I used to get excited about the blessings of God. I mean, I come into worship. I don't get fired up like I used to get fired up. My quiet time has become dry. You know how you can overcome all of that? Find somebody. It could be a neighbor. It could be a co-worker. It could be somebody in the community. You can go make a cold call, knock on somebody's door with a plate of brownies. And then look for an opportunity to share Christ with them and just say, here's what Jesus has done in my life. And when you begin to share that, the gospel, all of a sudden, all of those blessings are reignited in you. That passion is reignited in you. Those stale, quiet times go away and a new fire comes on your heart and in your soul because you're active in sharing your faith. Now, now we have a motivation, not only the blessings of this life, but we're living with the end in mind. We live with an eternal perspective. Look at verse 24 now. It, often this passage is separated from that which comes before it, but let's look at it within its context, maybe a fresh and a new. Do you know that in a race all the runners run? The, the Holman Christian Standard here says that in a stadium, all race, but only one gets the prize. Run that you may win. So Paul says seek to be successful here, and he says not now, now, everyone who competes exercises self-control. The word there is discipline. They exercise self-discipline. there in everything. However, they do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. And so Paul wants to get in on something in this life, understanding the blessings of the gospel and all that God has for us, but he also wants to lay up for himself treasures in heaven. And so he he has this this motivation that's different than he used to live by. It's not victory for the sake of victory and look at me and how great I am. It's as we sang earlier, how great you are. His motivation is to glorify God and, and discover the victory that God has for him, making him known and getting in on the rewards both intrinsically and eternal. The striving for souls has eternal rewards that day they would compete in the games the Isthmian games and even the ancient Olympic games they would compete for the victor's crown now, now there were lots of crowns that were worn by and, and, and crowns were you have you, seen it before the 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 wreath of leaves around the head in, in the ancient Greek cultures and if it was for academic purposes, it was usually a laurel wreath. And so all of the great academicians would have the laurel wreath around and we'd be walking around and, and they're all high and mighty and it might even give them some political weight in that day. But for the athletes, those who competed in the ancient Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games, it wasn't a laurel wreath. It was often an olive wreath from an olive branch. It was taken from the olive groves right there at Mount Olympus that were grown for that purpose. And so that was a crown that they couldn't wait to win, couldn't wait to achieve for their athletic success. And he says, these crowns perish. So they did all of that. They put their body through torture. they disciplined themselves as any great athlete would do, and they did all that for a crown that would perish. And he says, we, we're fighting for a crown that will not fade away. Now, I believe if we look at this within the context, often we look at it, we're talking about, oh, that's just talking about all the, re- the eternal rewards. But when we look at it in the context of what he has said In verses 19 through 22, we realize this is possibly the soul winner's crown. This is possibly the crown that Paul alludes to in 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, where he says, you are our joy and crown when Jesus comes again. It's a crown that lasts. Why is it a crown that lasts? Well, this crown is made of gold and has beautiful diadems. No, this is a crown that lasts because souls last. The only thing that you can take to heaven with you forever are souls. You can try to define success by every material possession you can lay up in this life. But being of sound mind, you will leave it all behind. You lay up treasures in heaven, specifically in this passage, the souls of your family and friends. And neighbors, and coworkers, and classmates—those who will spend eternity in heaven because of your witness—that's the soul winner's crown. And these other crowns fade away, but the crown of the soul winner—that those of you who have influenced with the gospel of Jesus Christ—those that, that crown lasts forever. I, I remember when Tina was devastated. We'd been married for a while, and every time we went to her parents' house, we'd walk in. They had a garage that had been converted into a family room many years ago. And this family room, other than the, the side that you walked in on, which was the door, the, the other three walls were shrines to Tina's parents' children, to Tina, to her brother, and to her sister. And, and on her sister's wall, there were all of these trophies and accomplishments that she had won and especially in the area of being a majorette because she was just a a, a great twirler and a great majorette and she had won all kinds of awards and her trophies were still on display and then on the other wall there she had uh, there was her her brother's trophies and he was a great football player great athlete a lot of plaques and had won all of these uh, accolades and had all of these things on display and then kind of over on the right when you walked in there were, Tina did equestrian and there were all of these horse ribbons and uh, 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 equestrian championship ribbons and everything else that she had won and it was just all on display and pictures of Tina riding her horse and, and jumping and all of that fun stuff and you would look over and see that and, and so you walked in and it was just a beautiful shrine and one day they renovated and didn't tell us and we walk into their house and it's new carpet new wall coverings And its grandchildren's pictures, big pictures, covered the whole wall. We have the pictures now. We're looking for a place to put them. Grandchildren's pictures covering the wall and their trophies were boxed up, shoved away in a storage building where the worms and everything else could get to them. Shoved away like nothing. And Tina felt a little sad her jaw kind of dropped, her heart kind of melted. And She was faced with the reality, the trophies of this life don't last long, do they? And yet, parents, we push our kids, we strive, and listen, Tina and I are going to do it as much as the rest of you, that their championships. Listen, my daughter, it came down to her and her partner to win a tennis match the other night, and we were screaming and hollering with the best of them, and it was freezing cold. We couldn't feel our feet, and when they got they went to a tie break, and we're freezing and I'm almost wanting the other team to win just end it somehow but no they pull it out and 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 we're like hey that you know we're quietly saying that's our daughter and Kent's real loud that's my sister and and they pull it out we celebrate like you but you know those victories don't last the friends they lead to the faith in Christ that's what lasts and, and so you're you know we, we've got to be careful when we look at all of that because we like to push them. Dads, we're so bad, we want that boy to to be the success that we weren't sometimes. To live our dreams through them. Help them to be successful first and foremost in the things of God and influencing others to faith in Christ. We won't be so devastated when that day comes. Say, yeah, but look at my trophies, Lord. I played for the Danielsville Demons in 1980 and we were champions undefeated see my trophy how many of those boys did you share your faith with how many did you tell when you got saved when you were 10 years old that same year how many did you tell them what god was doing in your life Those are the trophies that last forever. The influence we have for the kingdom of God, the impact we have on the lives of others to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Make sure that that so outshines academic and athletic crowns that eventually rot and rust and fade away that the number one goal is to lead them to influence others for the glory of God. A higher motivation, a different motivation. We pursue a glorious crown, not just the trophies of this world. And finally, our mindset is different. We pursue godly character. To to make all of this happen, we've got to live what we preach. We can't be phonies. We've got to be the real deal. We've got to deal with the hypocrisy in our life and be transparent when it exists. So Paul says, therefore, I do not run, in verse 26, like one running aimlessly. He says, now I have direction. I have focus in my life. He says, I do not box like one who beats the air. I'm not shadow boxing. I am making my punches count. We've got to learn to make our life count, make our punches count. What is he saying in verse 26? No wasted effort. Ephesians five sixteen. our men have been studying on Wednesday nights. We've seen this verse come up again and again and again. It says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. What he's saying there is make the most of every opportunity that you have. And so I get excited last night when I'm at a ball game, a college baseball game, and, and a pitcher comes on the mound. And his theme song that they're playing while he's warming up is saying, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. I thought, man, that's a greater witness. By the way, he didn't have that great an outing, so it's not like, well, because you said Jesus, you're going to always be victorious. He struggled a little bit, but you know what? He glorified God. That's what I can get excited about. It's no wasted effort. If God gives me an opportunity, then I want to make him known in that opportunity. No time for vain pursuits. In verse 27, he talks about, I believe this is referring to many of the spiritual disciplines. Instead, he says, I discipline my body and bring it under subjection. Just like the athletes, but here I'm speaking spiritually, I bring it under control that after preaching to others, I wouldn't be disqualified from the prize. I wouldn't dismiss. You say, wait a minute, you, you think Paul was saying that he might in all this make some dumb decision along the way and lose his salvation? No. Context determines meaning. Let's go back. What is the prize he's talking about? Likely the soul winner's crown here. He's saying, listen, I don't want to make decisions in my life to where all of a sudden I become a bad witness instead of a good witness. And I influence more people away from Christ instead of toward Christ. I don't want to lose that prize. I don't want to be disqualified from that prize. And so I want to be someone who prays. I want to be someone who worships regularly. I want to be a person who has a daily devotion with God in his word. I want to study to show myself approved. A workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to have fellowship with other believers. All of these spiritual disciplines, I want to discipline myself so that I get in on what God has for me. 1 Corinthians 2.16. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? But we have, he says, the mind of the Lord of Christ, a new mindset. Philippians 2, five. let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So We had the mindset of Christ, and that passage goes on to describe his mindset was one where he became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. You ever heard the name C.T. Studd? Some of you have heard that name. Many of you have heard what he said, or at least a line or two of what he said. C.T. Studd was a British cricketer called them cricket players, but I figured out recently they were called cricketers. Back in the 19th century, he lived on into the 20th century, but he was a, a British cricketer. He became, though, a pioneer missionary, and even though the game of cricket had given him a wonderful platform, he used it to point people to Christ. Eventually, he gave his life Not to the game of cricket, but he gave his life to reaching China with the gospel, and then it was on to India, and then it was on to Africa. China, India, Africa. As a missionary, as a trailblazer, reaching people, groups who were completely unreached. Say, Well, I still don't remember much about C.T. Studd in the history books. You probably remember the phrase, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Here's the rest of what he wrote. Two little lines I heard one day. Traveling alone, life's busy way. Bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave, and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last." Only one life a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score... When self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife. Pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You see, you're starting to remember it, right? That phrase comes back. Here's how he closes it. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Say those two lines with me one time here. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have to change our way of thinking. We've got to have a different mission, different motivation, a different mindset. And if that's what defines us, that's what will define our success. And that is success that matters. That's success that will last. Would you bow your heads with me?